So we've done quite a lot of structural renovating and in recent years I have realised that they you don't need to go to full structural renovation to get a good profit. So what we have found is the sweet spot is what we call the cosmetic plus. This episode is sponsored by My Airbnb Empire online course. It's our new online course to learn how to build your first wildly successful six-figure short-term rental business, how to go from zero to 100,000 income inside 12 months without owning any property. If you'd like to know more or just add your name to the wait list, look for the detail in the show notes or email admin at theschoolofrenovating.com. You're listening to the She Renovates podcast. You're listening to She Renovates, the podcast for women who want to renovate to create an income and a life they love. Well, hello, it's Bernadette back again with another episode of She Renovates. And before I get into today, into today's episode, I want to thank Katie who sent in lovely review. So it's entitled Most Inspiring Podcast. Bernadette, I just love your podcast. Thank you, Katie. I'm thrilled about that. I'm a single mum going through property settlement at the moment. I've done own a builder for my last house with my ex and a reno on a cottage, but I love the confidence you give me to get out and do it myself. The best range of real advice for renovators. Well, I'm that I'm just so thrilled about that because from what I know about women renovating, for most of them, the thing that's missing is confidence. And how we, I guess, arm them is by giving them systems and processes to follow that minimize their risk and also to support them in the process so they've got you know someone that's got their back so I've had that in Stephen all my renovating career he's not been renovating with me but I've always he's always had faith in what I've done and that's made a massive difference so that's what we endeavor to provide for the people that we work with so thanks so much Katie lovely to have your review now today I'm talking about the anatomy of a renovation for profit now There is a bit of a science to it, and it took me quite a few years to figure this out. So in the early days, I approached renovating in the same way most people do in the beginning. So I would just see something that I could improve and go for it. I would always be um, concerned about um, minimising my costs. But there was never much strategy to what I was doing. And it was only when I realised that I needed to be more strategic that I actually started to make real profit. So the problem is, if you're not being strategic, you're not buying properties that will allow you to pay trades to do the work and so that you can get that high quality in a short amount of time. And so you end up working for nothing, doing a whole lot of DIY, and you can't really call it a business. It's not, it's not a sustainable model because you're 
results depend entirely on how much you can do yourself and you often end up even with all that DUI not DIY sorry not making money so today I want to start the conversation about thinking about the profit making profit from renovating in a different way so yes there is a science to it and the first point is that you do need to if you're renovating to sell which is what we're really talking about today you do need to research your target market unless you have a good understanding of what aspects of a renovation your market will value and pay for and what they won't then you are really grappling around in the dark and that changes from place to place. Like there's some things that you can do universally and it works. But, you know, just to give you an example, if you if I'm doing a renovation in Surrey Hills or Redfern and I put in a European laundry, that is absolutely acceptable. A laundry is, a, a, you know, laundry in a cupboard is fabulous because the properties are quite space-challenged and even if they're not, a European laundry is perfectly acceptable. Now, if you're in the suburbs and you put in a European laundry, then that's not such a good thing because they are less space challenged and a family expects a full-size laundry. So if you go to the expense of putting in a European laundry, you're really devaluing that property. And so... That's just one small example of why you need to research your market. And in order to research, it's really around understanding your demographic, but also keeping a really close eye on the renovated properties that go to market and really getting to understand what people are willing to pay for those properties. So we've done quite a lot of structural renovating and in recent years, I have realised that they you don't need to go to full structural renovation to get a good profit. So what we have found is the sweet spot is what we call the cosmetic plus. So it's not just a purely cosmetic renovation where you're just doing uh, cosmetic finishes, uh, modernising and that's it. It's, and it's not a full structural renovation, it's somewhere in between. So a cosmetic renovation, but with some edge to increase the function of the, the home, the livability of it, um, and ultimately the profit. So you're giving that profit a bit of a boost. Now, you know, a good example of that would be if you could increase the number of bedrooms or number of bathrooms within the same footprint. So you're not having to, you know, pour a slab and create an addition if you're able to do it within the same footprint so you don't have the risk of, you know, the time taken to, to get approval to do an addition and also that the serious costs involved in it. But there are lots of other ways to add that edge and that will depend a lot on the property that you buy and the area that you you are in it's not enough just to do cosmetic improvements you know slap a coat of paint on and you know tart up the kitchen and bathroom 
uh, you, you really do need to go a lot further than that. And the reason being is that you're you've got a lot of costs to cover before you get into profit. So when you're buying a property, you've got stamp duty to pay for and you've got your legals. Then you've got to hold the property for the duration of the reno so that you incur costs with that. And then, of course, when you sell it, you've got agents fees and the like. And this is all in addition to the reno costs. So that's why we really work at pushing the profit potential with some form of uh, functional improvement, but without going um, full scale on the costs. Now, I've mentioned adding bedrooms or adding a bedroom or adding a bathroom within the existing footprint. But when you do that, you need to always make sure, make sure that you maintain balance and flow. So if you go from a two better to a three better, you can probably stick with one living room. However, if you're going for a, from a three better to a four better and you've only got one living room, it's probably not going to work because if you're going to a four better, you're going to be able to accommodate, you know, a family with say two or three children. They are going to need separate living areas and so not having the second living area will be a buyer objection. Same with bathrooms. If you go from a two-better to a three-better, you're probably looking at needing one and a half bathrooms. You could probably get away with one. Uh, one and a half is ideal. But once you go to four beds, you're looking at needing one and a half, possibly two or two and a half. So then that changes the scenario. You know, so it's not just a bedroom you're needing to add on. It's also another bathroom, which, of course, adds significant costs. And, um, and, you know, you need to find space for that as well. Now, in terms of flow, this is really important. What you don't want is a floor plan that looks like a dog's breakfast. So, you know, where you've got bedrooms shoved anywhere um, and um, because that can really go against you. So, you know, for instance, when we renovated the Wynnum house, one of the things that really detracted from the floor plan was the fact that the kitchen had five doors opening onto it. So it had the door to the laundry, uh, a door to the living room, a door to a hallway. It had a bathroom and a bedroom, both opening onto the kitchen. So really the kitchen was just a thoroughfare and it was, you know, completely disjointed. So basically what we did is opened up the whole wall between the kitchen and the living room. So that was no longer a door. It was, you know, it became one room. But then we actually extended the hallway into the kitchen so that it reduced the width of the kitchen, which was fine. But it then meant that all the bedrooms and bathroom were off this hallway. So it zoned them off. So we, on one side, we had the, the bedroom zone. And on the other side, we had the living zone. So it created cohesion in the floor plan. And that uh, made a massive difference to the, uh, the flow and the flow of life in that home. I'll include the 
floor plan diagrams in the show notes so I can show you what you what I mean. So just by virtue of opening one wall and a piece of stud wall that's probably two, two metres long, that it just totally transformed the floor plan. So you've really got to think it through well. I've seen instances where people have um, created an extra bedroom and then the buyer has bought it and pulled that bedroom out because by creating the bedroom, they really compromise the living area. So please do think about your floor plan holistically. Now, another floor plan opportunity that often exists is a redundant dining room. Dining rooms are not used in the same way, formal dining rooms, in the same way that they were in years gone by. So that's an opportunity to add some function to the home. So people, you know, strangely don't always look at the dining room and think, oh, well, that's an obsolete room. I could do something else with it. But as a renovator, it's a great opportunity. So whether you can turn it into a another bedroom, another bathroom, or you can, you know, open it up into the living area to incorporate a much bigger living space. So really look at the dining room and whether you really need that because in today's modern life, we don't use formal dining rooms. So that can be an opportunity to increase the value in your renovation. The other floor plan opportunity that often exists in older houses is the old style bathroom with the separate toilet next door configuration. Now, often the bathroom will be tiny. So by taking out that wall between the toilet and the bathroom and and incorporating this piece of hallway in front of the toilet, the entrance to the toilet, and putting the toilet in the bathroom, you can have a much bigger, much more luxurious bathroom. However, you need to think that through too. In fact, I was talking to a renovator in Queensland during the week. She had a very limited budget and she was looking at whether she should take the toilet into the bathroom and make a much bigger, more luxurious bathroom. But the property was a three-bedder. She did not have the um, budget to in, to put another toilet in. So with a three-bedder and no other toilet, just one bathroom, taking the toilet into the bathroom would have meant that whenever anyone's in the bathroom, the toilet is out of bounds. So probably not the smartest move in terms of livability. However, what we did work out is if she was to set up the bathroom as a wet room, so basically have a freestanding bath and enclose it within a glass uh, screen across the room and enclose the shower in there as well, it would make the room look much more spacious and obviously function much more spaciously than just to have the normal shower cubicle. Um, So... People often say, oh, can't you just have the um, single glass wall? And you can. You can just have that single blade glass shower screen. However, having lived in a few homes like that of our own doing, our own renovations, personally, I prefer to have a door on the shower so that you don't have water coming into the bathroom. That's just 
I, I personally think they look nicer, but from a functional point of view, I think keeping the water out of the shower recess is a definite plus. Otherwise, your bathroom's always got a wet floor and it's a slip hazard and, yeah, whatever. Okay, and the, the other point I want to make is the difference between real and perceived value. So real value is what it costs you to do and perceived value is the perceived increase in value that the buyer will experience, like how they will perceive it. And this is more about how you uh, execute and the choices that you make. So just, you know, like a really obvious example is if you choose a paint colour that's not popular, that's sort of not that desirable, then you can, you know, reduce the perceived value of the property because nobody's going to want to come into a newly renovated property and repaint it. It's a big expense and it just really does not tug at those emotional heartstrings because you've just taken the shine right off the property. So that's a really basic example. And I guess the other example of that is we use lots of little hacks for, you know, making something look more expensive than it really is. So, yeah, so producing a more expensive look but without the price ticket. So we have a, a little booklet I put together from one of our renovations with 55 ways that we have added value and lots of those little hacks that we use are in that booklet. So if you would like to download a copy of that, it's in the show notes or the link is in the show notes. <laughs> Interestingly, I once had a marketer tell me that it was much too valuable to give away for free. So there you go. It's there and it's for free. And the last point I want to make about adding value in a renovation is that often it's what you don't do that puts the money in your pocket. So this is a problem that we often have with trades and builders doing renovations for profit. They only have one way of doing things and it's usually gutting the property. So if something looks a bit, you know, not right, they will just pull everything out and start again. And that costs money that takes away from your profit. Now, if something's not sound, of course, it needs to be removed and replaced. But often that's not the case. So making sure that you're not taking things out that can be reused is often a way of increasing your profit. And lastly, whenever you're doing a renovation to sell, styling is absolutely essential. Statistically, we know that styling will add around 10% to the property value. Now, you need that 10% to cover or to help cover for all those costs that aren't the renovation costs, such as the stamp duty and so on. So if you choose not to style, then you are leaving that money on the table. Now, one of the main reasons people might choose not to style is because that they've run out of budget. But so I would suggest to you that even if you've run out of budget, that you beg, borrow and steal and make sure that you do style the property. I style most of the properties myself um, and yeah, put it on your credit card, do whatever you need to do to get that property styled. And um, 
You'll, you'll be able to pay off your credit card once that once the property's sold, but it, it doesn't take a whole lot of work to actually style it yourself. You know, usually we use a mixture of things we've bought from Gumtree and eBay, Facebook Marketplace, as well as some new things. I take things from home. In fact, my husband often complains that uh, we're sitting on milk cartons because all our furniture is in another property. So yes, definitely styling the property will help to increase your profit. Well, that's all I've got to share with you today. So hope you've enjoyed it. And if you've got a minute to go over and leave us a review, I'd love to hear from you. And otherwise, we'll see you over in the She Renovates free Facebook group. Bye for now. You're listening to the She Renovates podcast. You're listening to She Renovates, the podcast for women who want to renovate to create an income and a life they love. 